Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. And thank you for joining us here on another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And we'd like to uh, present Terry Muckenfuss with you, a seriously, seriously yeah. named beer, bar, and grill. It's phenomenally successful, and Terry is taking some time to tell us all about it. Terry, welcome to Corner Booth. Thank you. Hello, hello, everybody. So, Terry, um, we always like to kind of go back in history and find out how people got into the restaurant business, into the hospitality business. There's always a story. I'd like to know yours. Well, I guess I've been in the restaurant business over 30 years. I started out when I was around 18 years old, waiting tables at Bennigan's. I guess everybody's heard of Bennigan's, right? Sure, yeah. And all throughout college, worked in the front of the house. That's really you know, primarily the only type of work I ever did. Mm-hmm. Actually, my degree is from, I'm from North Carolina, and I see you're... I heard yeah, you're I'm from, in, in care, what, part of the, what part of North Carolina are you from, or... Greensboro. Are you in Greensboro? Okay, yeah. Well, I'm in uh, the Raleigh Durham area, so uh, oh. just just uh, just east of you. Well, that's a great area to be in. So I actually graduated from UNC Greensboro. Great with, school with a degree in restaurant and institution management back mm-hmm. in '97. And after that, I went to work at a place called Hams. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a sports bar. Mm-hmm. I worked a couple years. And from there, I responded to a classified ad for a, a restaurant. I didn't know what concept it was. Turns out it was Golden Corral. And I went to Golden Corral in 1999. I worked as an associate manager for two years. And then I became a general manager. Did that for about eight years before becoming a franchisee in 2010. So I currently have two Golden Corral franchise restaurants. Oh, Okay. My newest concept and really the future of my and the rest of my career will probably be tied up with muck and fuss craft beer and burgers. We have one location in New Braunfels, downtown New Braunfels, Texas. Okay. It's, it's done very well for us. How long has that been open? It'll be four years in October. Wonderful. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that concept? Listeners always love to hear how you get started. You know, how did you come up with an idea? How did you find the site? So why don't you share with us how that came from going from franchisee of a well-established brand to making the decision and finding the place to go do something more creative like this? Well, I know I, I worked on it for at least five years before we opened. Just I started to get the urge to do my own concept, something non-franchise. You know, I was living in New Braunfels, Texas. I, I probably looked at a hundred different you know, sites, possibilities. And a friend of, there's a hotel that we actually own downtown that's on the same property. It's called the Prince Psalms Inn. I'd ridden by this small boutique hotel a hundred times and never really, you know, it's like there's that hotel and never really knew much about the property. But a friend of mine said, you know, I think you could do a restaurant there. Uh, I could see that working. So one day I just, pulled off the road and walked the property. And it was 
I, I really captured the vision of what could be done there. You know, we own the hotel as well and just a small boutique hotel and it's got a basement. So we have a basement bar down below in addition to the restaurant. But the primary reason we purchased the property was to build the restaurant. Um, so we, we built it ground up in 2018, October of 18, we opened. Um, but yeah, just uh, started thinking about a burger concept. Um, uh, that developed into, I really wanted to have a unique menu. Um, I actually heard of a place in North Carolina in Greensboro that I was inspired by. It's called Hops Burger Bar, H-O-P-S Burger Bar. My wife, her best friend in North Carolina was dating one of the managers and I heard about their success and it was quite intriguing. You know, I was, the big question was how, how are they doing this kind of business? You know, so I really looked into it, went and visited the restaurant and I, I saw quickly why they were successful. It was the menu. It was the uniqueness of the menu. And I, they hired a chef as a consultant that helped them with their menu. And I actually got in touch with her. Her name's Christina Fuller. We hired her as a consultant to help us with, with our menu. And that's one of the biggest keys to our success. That's probably the, the biggest key is the, that she gave us that creative edge that we were really looking for. I love all burgers, but we weren't, we were trying to be different. We didn't want to, just to have a bacon cheddar burger and a mushroom Swiss burger. We wanted something really unique. So she really hit a home run for us on that. Probably 95% of our menu she developed for us. That's great. You know, you just hit a couple of points that, that the people who are listeners who have maybe heard this from others are probably making note that this is what must really work. Uh, Barry and I've come across this. If people want to do it right, They've got to study the market that they want to, what segment they want to be in. Um, be inspired by something that's out there. You were. Uh, then work on how you're going to do your own touch to it, your own point of difference. You did. And then I love what you, you mentioned. You know that it worked because it seems like the biggest thing that people like most about your concept is you've got a tremendously unique uh, menu offering. So that's right. The process works. Good for you. Yeah, one thing I'd say that's really helped me over the years, and I would really give this advice to anyone, is just don't be too prideful to ask questions. There's always someone out there doing it better than you. Um, you just have to ask for help. And, and people have told me that. They, they, they really point to that, that I'm not afraid to ask questions, you know. Uh, people will help you, you know? So, and that's one thing we say a lot in our business. We're always looking for the best known method. Uh, nobody has all the answers. Right. You know, great ideas come from anyone on the staff, any manager, and it doesn't matter whose idea it was. We're just, you know, the restaurant's very successful, but as soon as you start, you know, as soon as you start relying on or just pointing to that success and you're not trying to improve, things can start going down. So we just, we work hard on it every day, new systems, processes, you know, training, anything we can do to, you know, make, make it better. 
the whole concept of of incremental improvement, Terry, is is uh, compelling. Um, the best businesses always do it. Uh, my question for you is is how do you determine what areas need help and don't need help. I guess your financial statements are going to give you some guidance in terms of where you're profitable, where you might be losing money. But do you have some kind of dashboard or something that you use? I'm really interested because I think independent operators would like to kind of get a sense of, okay, I want to keep my finger on the pulse of things, but that can be a time-consuming matter if you do it in a very manual way uh, in talking to all everybody in this house, looking at different metrics every day. Do you have a dashboard that you use? Well, I can tell you what uh, we really focus on top line sales. Obviously, we, we face, I mean, we focus on, you know, cost of goods sold, beer, wine, liquor, food, labor. I mean, those are the, the biggest, biggest thing on the PL is your, your top line, your sales, your employee hourly labor, and then your cost of goods sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, always trying to build the sales. You know, this this restaurant was busy from the very beginning and it, it really hasn't let up. And it's doing much more volume than we ever thought it would do. And I'll say this, I'm, I'm not naturally a numbers person. Mm-hmm. I have to force myself to do it. I mean, I've met guys that are, or people that are really good with numbers and I'm not one of those people. So I really <laughs> force myself to do it. You know, we look at prime costs, and of course, things have changed since COVID. We're spending more on labor. I mean, we were very proactive in giving our staff raises, especially the kitchen folks, because that's the engine of our restaurant. These guys, they're dealing with so many tickets and so much volume. If you lose these people, you cannot make it happen. You know, so I mean, before COVID, we're probably paying an average of $16 an hour. And now, you know, we're paying up to $20 an hour. Wow. So, you know, the, in the old days, we'd look at prime costs being around low 50s to 55%, that being uh, total labor cost, including payroll taxes, and combined, or you add in your cost of goods sold. So that's one thing we look at. We try to be around 55%. A lot of times we're in the low 50s in the summer because we're in a tourist town. And mm-hmm. then in the and that prime cost number will get around 60 sometimes a little especially now that we're paying so much more with labor you know if you wouldn't mind maybe you could share with our listeners a little bit about your concept so they get a good picture of it is it lunch and dinner uh is it always the same menu do you have a brunch a full bar well we have several appetizers we have a loaded french fry menu with different toppings salads right now i think we have about 12 different burgers on the menu we also have tacos uh, we have a taco menu. Uh, they're very popular. Uh, full bar, beer, wine, liquor. Okay. Uh, yep. And we open at 11 o'clock every day. And we close at 9 during the week and 10 on the weekends. Of course, during our peak season, we stay open an hour later. And that's basically uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day. And, you know, how did your restaurant, um, how was it impacted because it's in the basement of a hotel? Uh, do you see this as additional volume because you're servicing the boutique hotel? Uh, do you, because of that, do you also do, say, like small hotel events and catered functions from your restaurant? Or does none of that really apply? 
Well, actually, the the Prince Homes Inn, the, hotel, the boutique hotel, has our basement bar. It's called Sidecar under it. But the restaurant's beside it. Muck and Fuss Craft Beer and Burgers is a separate building that we built. And that's right beside it. And there's a courtyard in between. So we have an active courtyard, outdoor seating. We have an open air bar, you know, where people can walk up the window, opens. And so it's, it's very popular. Excellent. And so the market that you're in right now, um, is it is it bearing the extra menu prices that you're going to have to have to absorb these higher costs? Uh, uh, I, we've talked to other operators in that region. Um, is there, uh, my understanding, it's a fairly popular tourist destination. You know, how's that working out? Well, it's it's working out fairly well. I mean, we're running a few percent higher food costs than I'd like, but uh, I'm very careful with pricing, especially coming from Golden Crow, because Golden Crow customers are very sensitive to pricing, especially sure. the seniors. So. You know, we, we look at other concepts, what they're charging. It's kind of funny. Uh, uh, five guys actually charges as much as we do. And oh, yeah. we, you know, uh, they're, everybody knows they're very expensive, but we're full service. We use real, you know, real plates, nice, nice dishes, you know, but uh, we, we look at other restaurants, what they're charging other like restaurants. And we're just very careful with pricing but everything is much more expensive. It's hard to figure out price and it's like you, for what the market will bear. But once you cross that line, you worry that you're going to lose a lot of your business. Really tricky. You mentioned your experience with Golden Corral. Of course, um, being living in the Resource Triangle, very aware of that brand and Lance Trenary. And he's really um, such a well-respected guy, not only in North Carolina, but obviously nationally now. But, you know, speaking to people out there who are in management positions at places like Golden Corral and um, may think, hey, gee, I'd, I'd like to follow in your footsteps and, and open an independent operation. Um, what is, was there anything that you learned from that experience in Golden Corral? Obviously, cost control is something you mentioned, but it, was there anything really, really valuable in, in working with, Lance Trenary's team and, 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 and their systems that, that has helped you become successful as an independent? It had a huge impact. Um, I'll tell you this, when I graduated college, my first few years at that sports bar, I was not a strong manager. You know, when I started at Golden Crow in 99, I was not a strong manager at all. In fact, they held my training back a week. You know, I remember my, my supervisor saying, we just don't think you're ready, you know. But I was off to a slow start, but I just, I stayed with it. Um, when I was an associate manager, I wasn't thinking about being a GM until, mm -hmm. you know, one day my general manager said, you know, I think you could, I think you could be a GM. And uh, I was like, well, that, that's great. So I did that again, started off weak. You know, we had 12 uh, golden corrals and, you know, just the new kid and, but I just worked at it and worked at it. It's it's the old the cliche you hear all the time. It's just it's hard to beat someone that doesn't give up. You know, sure. I just kept fighting through it. And it, even back then, I wasn't as consciously aware of you know. It was just always trying to improve, always trying to be better. And I just had that drive. I'm not sure where it comes from exactly, but I was just always working and. 
you know, a few years into that, I, I you know, I received a man, general manager of the year and actually received that three years in a row. Mm-hmm. It was just the experience was very valuable, just putting systems in place, uh, how to make things work. Golden Corral is a very difficult concept to run at a high level. It's, it's very difficult. And so just even when I was at the top of my game, winning those awards, it's like the next day you're back to the grind. I mean, it's, it's hard work and it's always a challenge. And I guess I like that about the business. Boy, I, you know, and given what Golden Corral had to do to get on the other side of this pandemic where they had a essentially a, a buffet style of business, which, and they've managed, I guess, to turn things around, but talk about the, um, talk about a story in persistence and not giving up. And I really want to uh, underline some of those key points that you made, because I think a lot of our listeners can identify with that, that, you know, not everyone just starts out good at everything. Uh, and, right. here we, and here we have, you know, you and you're, you're doing really well with a concept you created on your own. But you admitted that, you know, although you were interested in this industry, you weren't hitting a home run right off the bat. It, it took a little while to become good at management. Um, it took a little while to try hard and persevere and understand systems and get good at numbers. But if you just stick with it uh, because you feel like you're doing the right thing, then you can get it done. Uh, congrats to you. Um, uh, let's flip the coin now and have you kind of educate us on <clears throat> coming from that environment. You know, you, you excelled even though you may not have started that way. You excelled in handling that volume, understanding their systems and whatnot. Then walk people through how you went ahead and was able to put your, your own concept together. H- how did the planning work? Um, were you, how, do, how were you able to do what I know a lot of people feel is difficult, which is uh, raise funds, structure a deal. Uh, these are things that they're probably not teaching you at the chain restaurant, but you had to go out there as an independent and learn on your own. I can start with, I was fortunate, you know, already having the two Golden Crow franchise restaurants that I, I was able to finance the business and get a loan. I got an SBA loan. As we all know, the hardest part is getting started. And it was like that with Golden Crow because, you know, I was a good operator and they knew that, but their question was, well, how are you going to, finance a $4 million golden corral, you know, uh, but, and that was, that's a whole different story. That was a tough thing to do. And how I did it was very, I had to be very persistent with that, but I got it done. But with this, and I, that's advice for people trying to get started. It's that's the hard part is getting the down payment for the loan. You know, if you're going to do a $2 million restaurant, you know, you're probably going to have to have 15% down. So where, where are you going to get that $300,000? Big <laughs> and you work hard at it. There's, there's ways to get it done. And some, sometimes that money is expensive, but you can get into a deal where you can buy these partners out. <clears throat> That's what I did with Golden Crow. Um, but you got to do, sometimes you got to borrow money at a higher interest rate to get started. You know, but it, as long as you have an avenue or a way to pay it, pay them off. And that's and and so I, when you did muck and fuss was did you follow that same strategy or did you bring in investment partners along with the SBA loan? Uh, no, I was able to do it all by myself. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. Yes, it's if you can get to the point where you can 
not have any partners. Uh, sometimes that takes many years and that's okay, but it, it is very rewarding to, to do it with no, no partners. So um, let's talk about the changing in operation too. You really got how to manage Golden Corral down. Now you jump into something that's um, full service. Also, a lot more local community related using local brands, craft beers, things that are regional. Um, how did you build your team? Did you find specialists that knew these kinds of things? Uh, how, how do you go about selecting craft beers, local wines, and that kind of thing, um, since that's so different than the restaurants you were running at the time? Well, you just have to dig. You have to find people that know uh, you know, know a lot about craft beer or, um, you just have to talk to people with experience, other operators, you know, the, the foundation of the restaurant, what we spent so much time on was the menu. Um, it was, we knew it was critical that we get that part right. But, uh, again, Christina Fuller is a true professional she is a she we maybe we got lucky i mean because she was just extraordinary how she helped us and the working relationship we had in the beginning and we still have now uh i'm probably veering off on your question a little bit but another thing we really got lucky with our architect we had a great architect design the building to the space that we had and really this this architect patrick wins his name He's, he's an artist, he's a very creative, artistic architect. So it was really cool what he did with the building. He helped us with a lot of the design, uh, design features. Um, but I mean, it just, it kind of all comes together. It's a process. You know, you don't, when you look back, there's so many like thousands of decisions that have to be made every day. I mean, you're working on that. It takes a lot of work, but you just have to stay with it. Um, yeah, full service. I can tell you this, that I don't have a lot of full service. Well, you know, I've waited tables for full service restaurants, but Golden Crow is way different. Sure. Uh, you know, those guys, like I mentioned earlier in the kitchen that are working that kind of volume, I can't do that. You know, mm -hmm. I can get fiddle around a little bit and, and help and kind of immerse myself a little bit, but I can't you know, it's a very difficult job to do. So you just have to hire and train people, you know, and uh, our chef comes back a couple of times a year and helps us recalibrate because it's easy to, you know, get tunnel vision and things start to slide a slip a little bit, you know, like she'll notice things. And so we, we're always kind of recalibrating at least once a year. Excellent. This is such a good conversation, Barry. I mean, these are the things that we talk about that uh, you're just so easily to say, Tara, the things that we want everyone to know that, you know, you're not expected to do it yourself and you need to ask questions and, and select right design and make menu the foundation um, and bring in craft beer specialists. And your commitment to improvement means that at least once or twice a year, these people are gonna be coming back to take a look and to challenge and to update. Um, th these are all the you know practical tools that we stumble over, um, and we see repetition. We see repetition in successful habits, and mm -hmm. these are successful habits that seem to come up regularly. 
Yeah, I think Go ahead, having that is so important. I mean, the operational experience I had at Golden Corral, it, it, it really, I couldn't have been successful with, at my confess without that. Um, you know, I just, just having the high standards, you know, it's, it's kind of, you, you get down to some of the basic stuff like cleanliness. You have to, it has to be a clean restaurant. You have to have, I mean, everybody has duty rosters, but as y'all, I'm sure y'all know, the hardest part is making sure they get done. You know, it's easy to delegate a duty roster, but the hard part is following up, make sure it's done. So mm-hmm. we actually use a cloud-based checklist system called Jolt and it, it's helped us with that. But, you know, service, you know, it's not that complicated, but, you know, you're on stage every day and you, I mean, we make our share of mistakes. I mean, you it's just training. We just really, we're trying to be better. At tra- if there's one thing I tell any, anybody to, to make a priority and to be really good at is training. You know, uh, I studied an organization in Kingsport, Tennessee called PAL Sudden Service. Oh, sure. Yeah. They were actually the first restaurant group to win the Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award. The first hospitality business was the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Yeah, but you know, we that was one of the biggest takeaways from PALS was training. I remember hearing their owner say, "You know, why do you spend all this, all these hours training somebody? What if they leave?" And what he says is, "Well, what if we don't and they stay?" You know, so they really make that a priority, and so we, I think that's helped us a lot. Uh, Fortunately, we have the hotel right there. So we do all of our interviewing and onboarding. And, you know, if we do a background check and orientations, all of that's done outside of the restaurant. It's done next door at the hotel. So we, I mean, the key thing is trying to build a team of A players. And if you had all A players, your life would be really easy, but it'd probably be too boring, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's what you're always trying to do is build because hopefully you want to be like the Patriots. Not, I'm not saying that's my favorite team, but you want to win the big one. You know, you don't want to be, um, I don't know, the Cowboys. They're happy if they make it to the playoffs, right? <laughs> so. well, they, used to, they had their time, um, <laughs> you know, you know, but uh, and I'm not surprised after listening to you talking about uh, incremental improvement, looking at ways to every day, to do something better and then mentioning your inspiration with pals. And of course uh, you don't become a Malcolm Baldrige award winner unless you are um, uh, committed to, to quality and incremental improvement of quality. So I I loved hearing that. And also talking about training, um, you know, I think it's always been important, but I'm not sure you can succeed in this labor market and this, a market where if you don't deliver a, a great customer experience for off-prem for on-premises dining, you're just not going to get repeat patronage. Um, uh, I I loved hearing you talk about that because I just think it's it's absolutely vital. And the best of the best are saying the same thing. Right. So Terry, tell us. In, in addition to the on-site experience that you work really really hard on doing, were you successful with? Uh, local community, third-party delivery, curbside pickup before COVID, or did the COVID, you know, shutdown make you have to switch gears and get that 
uh, part of your concept started? <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh, in some ways, I think you, we block out memories of what we did during COVID because it was so painful. But we did do a lot of uh, curbside. I mean, I don't know how we survived it. We, we actually, we, we did participate in that PPP program. Without that, we would have been in serious trouble. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a very difficult time. And I had the two golden crowds to deal with at the same time. So it was rather stressful. Um, we don't do a whole lot of to-go business. We actually, we don't do it Friday from Friday at four until, and throughout Sunday, we, we start doing it again Monday at 11 because we're just so busy. It's such a distraction. Um, you know, and I, we, we did it. I think we really did it right in the beginning with hiring the chef, building. I mean, we all want to, you don't want to spend too much money, but sometimes if you don't spend enough money, that's a problem too. So I think we kind of got in the sweet spot there where we had a beautiful restaurant and a great menu. And I think that helped us a lot with the staff because we're so busy. The servers, you know, they make really good money. And that's a, that's a pretty large chunk of your staff. And we have a university right up the road in San Marcos, Texas, mm-hmm. 40,000 students. So that helps. So because you're committed to continued improvement, and I also know that you uh, have already stated, you know, you like the idea of the outside chef consultant coming in once or twice a year, keeping current. Um, have these really interesting over-the-top gourmet burgers worked in some other variations? Are you, are you testing out or have you successfully tested plant-based product? Um, are there, say, a call or has there been a call for, uh, you know, vegetarian style burgers? Uh, what do you see as far as that part of your market? Well, we do have the impossible patty. So we have that. So you can get any of our burgers with any of our toppings with an impossible patty. Um, we've done weekly specials since we opened. Um we recently transitioned into more of a monthly special, uh, but we've we've done some black bean burgers. I mean, we've done a few different things. There, there's not a huge demand for it, but occasionally, you know, someone will mention they wish we had a, you know, plant based burger in addition to the Impossible. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh... Do you think that the the plant-based meat analogs that I call them, uh, things that are meant to look and taste like meat, um, uh, you've obviously, you know, bet on them well enough to put them on your menu. Is this something that you see becoming uh, firmly implanted in on menus um, or do you see plant-based maybe taking a, a different, um, a different direction uh, We've been very interested in that whole that whole movement. I don't know a whole lot about it. I know that for our business and the burger business, you need to have at least, like most places have the impossible patty. Mm-hmm. In our business, you have to have that option. Uh, you know, if you can come up with one more option, you know, maybe a house-made patty, a black bean patty or something like that. Is it popular? Is it an item that you're selling? 
Yes. Okay. Nowhere near as much as our, our burgers, but yeah, you, mm-hmm. you have, if you didn't have it, it would not be good. Okay. Right. Yeah. Good point. And how about on the liquor, beer and wine side, is it possible for you to be successful taking some of the craft beers and working them into recipes? Have you done that? Are there sauces or beer batters or stuff that's on the menu, you know, made from the craft beers you serve? Uh, we've done different things with specials, but our onion ring batter does have beer in it. It, it has one of our craft beers in it. We don't brew the beer. We just, right. we try to create the menu, you know, have a good selection and it's always rotating. That's one thing I think we've done well with is it's a, it's always changing um we don't have a stagnant menu you know we have uh 30 taps at the restaurant and uh we're just always rotating them you know some of the the very popular ones we keep on there's you know four or five that are staples that we keep on all the time is brewing the direction that you've considered uh bringing in your own brewing operations definitely thought about it i mean we definitely don't we don't have the space on our property, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, I've, I've thought about the name is unique too. It's, that's kind of the common thread, the unique, our property is unique. The menu is unique. The, the name is unique. So sometimes you think, well, muck and fuss beer that then, you know, who's going to brew it. And it's kind of a, I don't know much about all that. We've definitely yeah. I mean, they have contract brewers, but uh, you know, I'm glad you bring it up. I mean, the, the name, you couldn't have a better name for a, a sports bar, burger place, restaurant. It's, it's, it, it stands out, you know, um, by the uh, great accident of birth, you've got the perfect restaurant name. <laughs> yeah. How many people have actually asked you if you purposely changed your name to Muck and Fuss, or is there really a family hierarchy of Muck and Fusses? Uh, you know, most people are very surprised to hear that that's our last name. Um, they're very shocked. They have, and they'll say, how did you come up with that name? <laughs> Even if people that they've, they've come and told me after we opened, like, man, when I heard the name was going to be Muckintosh, I was thinking you're crazy. That's, that's the stupidest name, but it's kind of like Fuddruckers, you know, people remember it. Sure. And what we did with the name, it's, we took the E-N out of the middle of the name and put an ampersand. So it's muck and fuss, craft beer and burgers. Mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit of a spinoff on the name. Mm-hmm. Things just fell into place. I mean, I remember in the beginning, we were like, what are we going to call this place? You know, I, and you have all, you go down all these rabbit holes and then it just comes back. And the same thing with our logo. You, there's so many things you, you work on and then you, it just came back to just a simple, simple design. We, we, our logo is a, like a hop. What we did is we took the shape of a hop, cut it in half to where the hop is the bun, top and bottom bun, and then the burgers in the middle. So that's our logo. Uh, you know, kind of, we like that, how, how it came about. I have one more uh, menu-related uh, question, and that is with regards to the core item in the burger, the meat. Is there something special you do there? Are you grinding your own, or do you prefer a certain mix? Um, how, how do you treat your burgers to create the point of difference that you have? Well, we 
we actually do not grind the burgers because we, we just don't have this property. We were very, very limited on space because we already had, you know, the hotel, you know, it's a 7,500 square foot hotel and the property is only three quarters of an acre. So we just buy the highest, highest quality, you know, 80, 20 black Angus beef. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we, we just, they come in like little pucks and we, we put them on the grill and we mash them. That's how we do it. Okay. I'm telling you all my secrets. Oh, that sounds like you've got a great grind. You're getting very, you're, you know, we're getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> 80, 20 smashed burger, beer, batter, onion rings. I mean, come on, I can't take it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Terry, you're, you're a guy who's familiar with, uh, uh, very familiar with a company that has ex- expanded over years and, um, you now you've got a single unit uh, in Texas. Um, I have a hard time believing that you know you're not thinking about unit two or three, given the fact you you know how to you know how to run multiple units. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a tough business. You know, if you have the right general manager, everything else falls into place because they're going to hire the, the right associates or assistants and it's all going to trickle down. But I, I found that it's harder than it used to be even now to find someone, a general manager that can really get their arms around everything and, and do it. If I had that person, I would, I mean, this restaurant would do well anywhere, you know, Phoenix, Tucson, Dallas. I mean, everywhere Raleigh but you have to have the operators and I don't know it's 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 a big jump I do think but oftentimes my wife is like we're good (laughs) It, it takes a lot out of you running a restaurant but if you have the right person to help you grow it can change on a dime you know you know, I mean, there's- that's, so, that's so good that you said that. I, I hope our listeners make note of that. Too many times I come across people and when we ask about expansion, they immediately start talking about, oh, maybe challenges with real estate or I have to look at sites. It's hard to find the sites or, well, uh, I have to raise a lot of money. Now, both of those are true, uh, but I come from your camp. I think it starts with people. Uh, and so it's, I'm happy to hear you say that. If you could get the right leader to build your expansion around. If you find the right GM, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's still a lot of money to raise in real estate markets. So I get it, but it starts with people. Uh, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think, you know, finding the location and real estate and all that, that's, I really like that part. That's fun. You know, it's exciting to, to look at new sites and I mean, it takes time. You can't get in a rush. But really, the the hard part is finding the right individual that's going to run it. Otherwise, you're putting a big strain on your life. I mean, it's like I don't. I need someone that's competent that can run this, where I'm not having to go and you know. And then it wears me thin with what I currently have. I just can't. I can't do it by myself. So I'd have to. I'd have to have someone. And you know, for me it would start with the general manager, someone that, you know, could take, could work at our existing store for maybe a year and then go to the second store. And then after that, maybe they could be the 
director of operations or possibly even the CEO, you know, and help me grow the business. But, you know, I, I haven't found that person. Always looking. Can we ask a little bit about how you market your brand? You have been tremendously successful. You've been operating for four years. Are there certain things that you think restaurants, especially say in unique smaller communities like yours should be doing? Um, what kind of say marketing budget do you build or community events do you do? Or is it all social media posting? Predominantly social media. We have a local company that helps us. Uh, and I'm not even on social media. I know very little about all that, but you know, Instagram, Facebook and all that kind of stuff, uh, making posts all the time. Um, but our, our concept speaks for itself too. There's a lot of just word of mouth, but I do think it's, it's very important to have a social media presence. If you can hire a professional company uh, to do that, um, you know, it's, they're not cheap, but so many people are on their phones and if you have an event coming up and just the, it, it really is effective. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're right there. And, and it's still going to come down to word of mouth. Uh, uh, the guest experience will build, you know, customer loyalty and raise revenue. Good guest experience is going to promote um, the brand correctly. So obviously you're paying more attention to within the four walls of marketing and the better you operate, hopefully the better uh, experience you're creating, which means, you know, the better word of mouth you're out there promoting. And obviously it's been working for you. Yes. And it's interesting that, you know, you, you've, you say that you're, that you're just not a social media person, which probably is a, can be a healthy thing sometimes, um, but that you have confidence in your experts. Um, I think that says a lot as well. Um, that maybe you don't feel that that's your expertise, but you seem to have the ability to let go and delegate things to people who you believe know what they're doing. Um, that takes a great deal of faith. Um, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you just haven't been burned that much in those situations to be able to have that confidence. Um, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate there. I'll, I'll tell you this, it's pretty important that, that I, I don't work in the business. I don't work any shifts. Uh, you know, I don't open or close, uh, work on the business mm -hmm. constantly, you know, uh, we actually don't have a general manager currently. We make it work. We, we had one the first year, um, but since then, almost three years now, we haven't had a GM. Um, you know, I have a human resource director that does all the, like I said, the onboarding, orientations, hiring, and all that. And then I have another person. That, uh, her title is director of uh, operational development. So we kind of, and with my operational experience, we kind of make it work, but. You know, I, you're not going to believe this, but since we opened, I don't think I've rang in one order on the POS system, hmm. not one, uh, because I, I have people to do that, you know, and I think it's best if you can't, if you, if you can as much as possible work on the business and not be all wound up in it. And sometimes you don't have a choice, but when I have to jump in and there's a, critical system that needs to be developed or I'm pretty good at that. 
and because of my operational experience, I'm able to solve problems. Uh, so I keep my finger on the pulse, but I, I don't have to run shifts. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, thinking back, Chris, in terms of some of the messages that restaurantart.com had for years working on the business and, and how uh, that was Ray Kroc's approach to growing McDonald's. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then you you wonder, gee, can the business run that well without the manager there, um, you know, on the floor in the business? Um, but, uh, you know, this is unusual in my, my way of thinking. It's, it's what we all tell our operators to do. And then here's Terry's actually making it work. Yeah. Working on the business, which is ideally that's the, that's the place you want to be. That's like Nirvana. That means that you got other people who are, who are working in the business and things are working fine. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I, I don't know about you, Chris, but it's not, a, it's not a tale I hear very often. No, no, but, but it is the objective. I think you're right there. Um, it, it's every independent operator's objective to make sure that the team can work consistently enough so that they can step back a little from the day-to-day in the business and work on the business. That doesn't mean that they're not really working. It means they can be a little bit more like Terry and be committed to continued improvement, question mm-hmm. things, improve things, market things, develop people better. And, and this way you're creating long-term value. Hopefully you're increasing profitability. That's what independent operators want to get to. But Barry, I think you're right on point. I bet many listeners right now are shaking their heads thinking, every time I think I'm there, you know, I've got a hole to plug or I'm short staffed somewhere or I'm back on the Wednesday night shifts or I can't get through the busy weekend unless I'm on the floor too because my people just aren't developed well enough. So it's the objective, but not everyone is there yet. Yep. Oh. And, 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 you know, if and Terry's told us a lot already, but if if I was just reading about Terry's concept in, in, in brief and him being interviewed and being talking about how things just work and he work on the business and things just work in the business, I, I the first thing I would have thought of, and, and he's already proven this to us, is that this guy's got systems because that doesn't happen without systems. Am I right? Yes, sir, you are. Uh, Terry, I'm sure you would agree with that. Uh, you, you feel like uh, if you can't have a system for people to follow to maintain consistency, you're not going to be able to handle the volume correctly, or you're not going to be able to relax slightly when there's a busy shift and 14 tickets come in at one time. Am I, am I, over, am I, am I overstating it, Terry? No, you know, again, the always searching for the best known method. And usually what that looks like is just improving a system. You have a system, but maybe there's a slightly better way, you know, and so you're constantly tweaking. You've got a framework of systems, but you're always tweaking them. And it's, it's like you do every week, three or four things. And it's probably more than that, but over time, these things really add up. And it's important that you make them, make them stick. Mm-hmm. You remind me of, uh, of something that my very first manager that I worked for, so that's years and years ago, told me. But I remember when he told me that, um, that the restaurant business is a people business. He said, you know, you, you, you've got to train your people and you've got to trust your people. But then he said, but you've got to put your faith in the system. There's got to be a system to follow to everything. Now, that was years ago. And 
But every once in a while, there'll be a conversation like this one and it'll come up. That's true. And there's, there's times, there's peaks and valleys, you know, when you lose staff or you lose a key person, the business can be very, very tough. I mean, there's definitely days where you're like, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore, you know, but you just have to get through those times and work through it. All in all, it's rewarding. You know, that's all I've ever done. And it's been, it's been good to me. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and deservedly so, you know, it sounds like you're, you're doing very, very well. And your, your playbook is, is written like a, you know, like a champion's coach. And so I've enjoyed listening to you just casually take us through the A to Z of your brand creation, your building of the team, your belief in the system, your working on the business rather than in the business. Uh, this has been a joy for us. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Terry. Um, excellent points all all down the the. Uh, Throughout the entire podcast, I hope uh, our listeners uh, take this stuff heart. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining. Hope we can see you real soon on another Corner Booth. Thanks again, Terry. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. <laughs>